Robert Moss is a writer and independent scholar based in Charleston, South Carolina, who writes about food, drink, and travel. And he's the founder and publisher of the Southeastern Dispatch, a Carolinas-focused food publication. He's also a contributing barbecue editor for Southern Living. And his latest book is The Lost Southern Chefs, A History of Commercial Dining in the 19th Century. Robert, thanks for coming back to Biscuits and Bach. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me back. So in the book, you call it a hidden history. Why do you think it's a hidden history? There's a number of factors to it, but I think a lot of it was almost conscious on the part of a lot of writers and historians in the early to mid 20th century. There was a big effort to sort of recast the history of the South before the Civil War as a sort of idyllic place of noble planters and their, their plantations and all that. And the story of a thriving cities in the South with commercial enterprises and restaurants, that didn't fit into that, that dynamic. So I think a lot of it was this, this attempt to rewrite the Southern history. And in the process, we erased these figures who were so, so influential on what people were eating and drinking in the 19th century. Let's talk about one of those people. Uh, Nat Fuller is a figure in Charleston who I guess sort of got you started and one of the things that I found so surprising is that he was an enslaved person in Charleston who was an entrepreneur. And not just an entrepreneur, but literally the most in-demand caterer and restaurateur. He ran the, the restaurant and catering house in Charleston that all the elite Charleston society would use for their banquets and their balls and, and everything else. And despite being enslaved, he was able to achieve some level of autonomy and so um, Fuller was, yeah, a, a very remarkable person, born into slavery, uh, was able to first d d establish a game trading business, selling game that he would buy from, from New York, establish himself as a very successful caterer, which meant not just being able to cook, but having a, a facility on King Street, which we would cook out of. He had to, he had to have all the dishes and platters and, and, and all the equipment, and then ultimately you know, opening his own restaurant called The Bachelor's Retreat. So, so really just a, a really interesting, intriguing figure and quite unlike anybody else I, I, I think like we had read about up until a few years ago. And he's not the only one. That, that's the other point that you make in the book is that you had European immigrants, free yep. people of color, and enslaved people who were all contributing to this industry in ways that we just don't seem to remember. Yeah, it's a surprising number of the leading restaurateurs were either African-Americans or recently arrived European immigrants. Can we talk for a minute about the actual food sure. that they were serving? Yeah, and that's another aspect that's been largely lost for, for a couple of reasons. You know, we think of Southern food, we think of all kinds of, of things like grits and fried chicken and, and all those wonderful things. But the 19th century Southern menu was very different, very focused on the what I always call the, the local bounty, so which is on the coast, you know, the, the seafood from, from local waters, the game from local fields. Oyster houses were a big deal. And at that time, there were lots of oysters being harvested up and down the Carolina coast, uh, particularly from the Chesapeake Bay. In fact, the Chesapeake Bay was sort of this great pantry, if you will, not only for fish, but also for ducks and, and game birds, in particular, the canvasback duck. And that particular duck was, <clears throat> which fed on wild celery in the marshes around the Chesapeake Bay and elsewhere, was sort of the most prized, um, you know, prized dish on the 19th century table. Another popular item was green turtle soup made from these gigantic green sea turtles, 
which today are endangered and we wouldn't dream of, uh, of cooking and serving them. And I think it's be illegal to do so. But back at the time, that was sort of one of the heights of uh, fine dining was, was green turtle soup. So there's this entire menu that really you don't, you, you don't really get today. We've lost a lot of that. Another reason we don't get a lot of that food has to do with um, the way the environment has changed, right? Yes, for sure. Um, you know, at the time, Baltimore and the Chesapeake that was a massive source of oysters that were packed and shipped all across the country. And they frankly just got fished out. The wild celery that the canvasback duck would feed on was wiped out. So to, to a great extent, the industrialization of the late 19th century wiped out a lot of that bounty that was being used for the, for, for the tables of the, uh, in the 19th century. And it's taken us a good century to, to bring it back. Well, Robert, thanks for your um, your scholarship on this topic. I mean, it's it's an interesting read, and it's a topic most of us probably never even thought we'd <laughs> want to read about. <laughs> well, certainly, I didn't I didn't even know about it until I really started researching it. Well, I appreciate your time, and uh, and uh, thanks again for visiting us on Biscuits and Bach. Yeah, thanks so much.